0: Hello, welcome to Fed Talks. I'm your host, EJ Fish. Trying out a new microphone this week. We'll see how it works. I was pretty pleased with my test run. So if this works, I'll try to get a little more permanent setup with my my uh, uh, sound dampening curtain in place. Uh, this is all a work in progress. It's free. Give me a break. Uh, I hope everybody's doing good. Uh kind of exhausted. I am recording this and I haven't slept in several nights. Uh, Not for any real reason, just because that's about 50% of the time that's where I'm at. Uh, I'm broken. Uh, I feel like I'm mostly going to talk movies again this week, which is not my intention to always talk about movies, but it's summer and there are things coming out that are interesting to talk about. After this week, it doesn't look like there's any for a couple weeks at least, and then I'll have to come up with content. Uh, for, first, uh, I, a couple things I forgot to mention last week when I was very excited about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, the movie very casually reveals that Doctor Strange is friends with a talking green bull man, uh, which I think we can agree is rad. Uh, there is no explanation given for his presence or what he is uh, I remember from comics that his name is Rintra and I don't remember anything else about him and I certainly didn't know he was in the movie even though you can apparently see him in a, in the trailer uh, I must have blocked it out because why would the giant green talking bull man uh, <laughs> get to a movie before the X-Men <laughs> I mean, there have been 10 X-Men movies. You know what I mean. An official continuity movie. Point is, Rintra is kind of great. uh, And he gives me hopes that Thor's space horse friend, uh, Beta Ray Bill, will be in the next Thor movie. Uh, Fingers crossed on that. But uh, one thing that is is interesting about Rintra, and uh, uh, Summer pointed this out, is he's one of the maybe 10 characters who gets a... Uh, like a, a full credit at the end of the movie when they show the character and the actor's name, and everybody else who gets one of those screens is either a major player or somebody who is returning from another Mar- another Marvel movie. So, like uh, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg only has the one scene, but he's reprising his character. So from the first Doctor Strange, so obviously he gets a he gets his own card, but uh. Rintra, who I would have assumed was 100% CG. Uh, boy, the sound spiked on that. I apologize. I'm still learning how to talk into this new microphone. Uh, but I would have assumed Rintra was 100% CG, but he has his own credit. He actually shares a screen with another very minor character, but that character actually has lines and gets a really gnarly death scene. So they kind of earned it. But Rintra just speaks, I think, once and writhes in pain at one point. Uh, but also I have absolutely no doubt that within two years, he's going to, he's going to have his own show on Disney plus and he'll be my favorite character. And this is a pro Rintra podcast. Uh, sound is spiking again. I apologize. Maybe I just get so excited talking about Rintra. Uh, and now we're into, we're into spoiler territory if you have not yet seen the movie. Uh, but, uh, Wanda of the Avengers movies and, you know, WandaVision is basically the villain and that's kind of a big move, you know, especially after she had this really emotional arc on the show and partly, I mean, she, it's the most sympathetic villain, villain reason possible. Uh, and, I sort of like the way it it makes it clear how powerful she is compared to Dr. Strange and literally everybody else who uses magic, which is to say way more. Uh, But I don't think this is the end of her story. I do think that she sort of needed a full villain turn just as a, uh, you know, she did enslave and torture an entire town, even if it was unwillingly. Uh, That's kind of a villain move. Um, but here here's my pitch for what you do with Wanda after this. We, we let her rest for a bit. And then when they finally get around to their X-Men movie, she is the motivation for it. Uh, it's why they, we, it's, it was established in the show. She's a mutant. She's the only mutant we've seen. Uh, this is why Professor X and Magneto come out of, come out of the shadows. Uh, Magneto wants to exploit her. Professor X wants to, uh, teacher to control her powers uh, from the mutant aspect, not from the magic aspect, which would be kind of interesting, and have her be the focus of that. Uh, I think that would be interesting and something they really haven't done because she was introduced as an X-Men villain and then kind of never returned to the X-Men again. Uh, so I think that would be cool. That's the thing I'd like to see. That's my pitch. And here's the I'm getting a little more in the weeds here, but uh, you've already done this uh, the story now about a woman with infinite power who abuses it and pays the price, which means you don't have to do Dark Phoenix. They've tried to do it twice in the movies, in uh, X3, The Last Stand, and in Dark Phoenix. And both times it was bad. Partly because it was half-assed in both cases, but also the original story, which has its moments, has not aged well. And every time somebody points out how, how weak the movies are, you know, where, where uh, Jean Grey uh, dies when Wolverine jabs her with a syringe uh, and it lacks the majesty of the comics, and you know how she dies in that version of the story in the comics? She gets shot with a gun. Like, it's, it's, it's in that sense, it's not better. But by doing that storyline with Scarlet Witch before introducing the X-Men... You don't even have to do that story anymore. They could do something new. I like that idea. You maybe even use her as a... uh, If they end up doing an Avengers versus X-Men kind of thing. uh, And have her as sort of the... uh, Sort of the focus there. Uh, There's a lot of cool things they could do with her. And I have no doubt that they will. I don't think that was the... uh, ignominious end of somebody who's been in a bunch of movies and... Possibly has played their character for more screen time than any of the other Marvel actors. Just because, you know, she did a nine episode TV show and she's in almost every scene of it. Um, It seems possible. You know, I'm not going to start measuring screen time, but she's up there. Anyway, Doctor Strange is Rad. That's my thoughts. I want to see more Rintra. Uh, I think Scarlet Witch should be a motivating factor for the X Men when they. Are introduced, uh, and that's that's my feelings on Doctor Strange. I'll probably talk about Doctor Strange again. That guy's great. Uh, the movie I did see this weekend, uh, the new Pixar movie *Lightyear*, which has been sort of a it's been sort of a like a lightning rod, partly because it's they did a bad job of telling you what the movie was, where the original the original thing they said when they showed the trailer was that it was the story about the real person that the Buzz Lightyear toy was based on and that's obviously not the case and then the movie opens with a a a title card that explains it's the movie Andy saw in 1995 that the Buzz Lightyear toy is based on which also doesn't make sense because it doesn't play like a 1995 movie uh, you would not have seen time dilation in a in a, a one thousand, nine hundred and ninety-five blockbuster. That was that's a very post-Inception thing. And in fact, what they should have done was say it was the big screen reboot of the classic Buzz Lightyear cartoon show, because it's got all these like he only has sort of the realistic version of what you think of as Buzz Lightyear's uh, space suit at the very end. And, like, the things that are really key to the Toy Story character, like the wings and that little light-up laser on his arm, just show up at the end, which makes it feel more like what they really are, which is shout-outs to a thing you remember. But, you know, those wouldn't have been the... Like, if you made a toy based on this movie, uh, that would not be the focus of the toy, because it's just sort of a... They're just sort of little side things in the movie. But the point is, the movie's real good. I had a great time. Uh, It's, yeah, it's perplexing how they couldn't just explain, hey, you know that Buzz Lightyear toy? Here's a movie about Buzz Lightyear. The man. Uh, It's, you know, when Pixar hits, they hit, man. Uh, And it's there's a weirdly negative reaction to it and I know not everything hits for everybody. And part of it's a bad, bad faith thing about Tim Allen not being the voice. Uh, and a lot of that's political too. Uh, because they are, you know, they cast Chris, Chris Evans instead, who is sort of a, uh, outspokenly liberal in his politics. Whereas Tim Allen is, uh, what do you call kind of a turd? But also, Tim Allen is a 70 year old man whose range as an actor is uh, decidedly more limited. Uh, Chris Evans works a million times better in the context of this movie. Uh, but it's. it's I, I genuinely loved it. It made me cry. It's been a while since a Pixar movie made me out and out cry. And not even at the end, sort of the premise where every time he goes on a mission, the time it's time dilation and he's gone for four minutes and four years pass back on the planet and he's missing people's lives. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that hits home. If say you're, you know, you're, you know, your some of your closest friends live very far away and you can't see them often. Or maybe your sister lives on the other side of the country and it'll be years between times that you get to spend time together. It's uh. You know, but that's a, a very middle-aged man regretting his life choices uh, sort of sort of thing, and I don't know how well that's going to click with kids, uh, like if that concept will actually land with them. But I assume if you are listening to this, you're not a child. Uh, I'm going to try not to swear, but I will be talking about American Pie movie shortly, so uh, I can only disappoint you. Anyway, Lightyear was great. I loved it uh two thumbs up uh apparently a bit of a box office disappointment but it's also the highest opening for an animated movie since 2019 and you will remember what happened in 2020 uh which is to say the world broke uh but possibly even more not more pertinent but as pertinent is uh November of 2019 is when uh, Disney Plus became a thing. And that, I mean, the last three Pixar movies came out straight to Disney Plus. So you can see, especially if you have a family, you don't want to risk COVID. And also it's a lot cheaper to just catch it on Disney Plus, which now streams things pretty quickly after their theatrical window. It's a different world. You're not going to, you're not going to have uh, an animated Disney movie open to $90 million, I don't think. Because I think now you've taught families to just wait and it'll be cheaper to to watch it at home. But I could be wrong because I, I don't know anything, guys. I'm trying my best. Uh, I was going to complain about Tim Allen in general. He was just being an ass on Twitter. Uh, but, you know, this is the dude who has said before that he should be allowed to say the n-word. He doesn't want to say it, but he should be allowed to say it. Which for one thing means he wants to say it. For another thing, he's allowed. There's just consequences. There's no there's no governing body preventing him from saying it. Uh it would be bad for his career and possibly he might get punched, but there's no law against it. But you already know this. You're not you're not you, the Fed Talks listener, is not uh, is not thinking to yourself, "Yeah, I should be able to say the n word." No, none of us should. I mean, again, we're all allowed to. We shouldn't be saying it. Don't say it. Come on, man, stop it. So it's not really worth it. And then I wanted to. Uh, I was going to talk about Top Gun Maverick and how. I'm, but I, I'm so I'm so tired today. I want to be enthusiastic. It's been a long couple days. Uh, it's weird how a lot of a lot of podcasts now are t- are talking about Maverick and very enthusiastic. Even the ones that usually kind of see through, uh, you know, past the surface and uh, you know, it's this is no less manipulative and no no more skillfully done than the first one. Which I think in 2022, almost all of us would watch and go, and, and, uh, you know, you would watch it and go, yeah, this was, it's hard to believe people, people really fell for this. You know, this, man, sorry, that spiked my audio like crazy. I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning about this microphone as I go. This might be unlistenable, and I apologize. Uh, uh, oh, I'm lost. Uh, I should edit this out, but I'm not gonna. Uh, yeah, you know, you watch the original Top Gun and it's, it stands out as a very, like, it almost feels like a military recruitment film. And uh, In fact, the Navy had to approve every aspect of it and it's sort of the dehumanization of the unnamed enemy. And this one does all of that same stuff again and it feels like we should be more sophisticated and go, yeah, you know what? That's that that's maybe two hours about how rad the military is and how much better it is we're using humans than drones to murder other people. Like, that's the stakes of the first act is uh, will, will people still be pulling the trigger or will it be robots? Uh, and, you know, a lot of the podcasts I listen to that are really smart about about that kind of messaging and uh, they just even if they, when they've acknowledged that that that's very present it still feels like uh, uh, but planes are cool so that's been very disappointing to me I expected better of folks like uh, Nick Weiger and Griffin Newman and now I'm upset uh, look I've made my point um maybe I haven't made my point. I really do want to talk about it in more depth, but I'm, I'm scattered. Uh, so you know what? I'm just going to jump straight to my franchise movie rewatches because this was an interesting week. Uh, over in Marvel, we got to Guardians of the Galaxy, which is one of my favorites of the whole run. It's, I mean, look, I'm not going to Say too much about the movie Right now you, you, you've you almost definitely seen it Or made the active choice not to see it And then nothing I can say is going to Get you to reconsider your life But uh, Some things that kind of jump out is uh, It's The first one so far Starting from the beginning where you really see Like a directorial Voice Like James Gunn's style is Very is very prevalent here like if somebody else directed Thor it would probably look pretty similar to the movie that exists because they're playing with an existing template and uh, James Gunn goes a little wild and makes choices we haven't really seen and it's it's so it's so colorful and uh, he sort of maintained control of the final cut by like the fight scenes always have like there's like a story to the fight where there are items you have to keep track of and uh, and uh, like jokes that run through them so you can't just re you know the studio can't re-edit a fight scene to make it longer or bigger or whatever because it it, it would cease making sense and that seems like such a like a big shot move and that was literally the third movie he had directed It's crazy. And the first two were absolutely no budget. Uh, Slither and Super, which are both quite good. I watched them recently. Uh, I like James Gunn. He's good. Uh, But it's... It's so fun. Uh, The jokes are genuinely funny. The action is good. The cast... Everybody just knocks it out of the park. Like, you don't expect Dave Bautista to be that good an actor. And... He's been in a bunch of other things since then, where he's proven, yeah, he really is a good actor. And uh, uh, Zoe Saldana as, as Gamora has like the—I don't want to say a thankless role because it's—it's—it's it's a good part, but of all all the major characters, it's like she has the least. She has the least of a game. There's not like a like a funny thing that defines her, uh, like with everybody else. And she ends up carrying a lot of the emotional weight of the movie in some fairly difficult prosthetics. I would imagine it just kills it. Uh, I think that's easy to overlook because, uh, like Drax and Rocket and Groot, are so extreme and have such a clearly identifiable funny thing about them. Uh, and but yeah, she's amazing. The whole the whole cast and. Like even in the small roles, you got Glenn Close and John C. Reilly and Peter Serafinowich, and uh, a lot of times they talk about, uh, like how a Marvel movie wasted somebody on a small role, and, you know, can't bring them back for something more. And I mean that's that's true, but you also don't want to you don't want to cast badly. And just you know, you don't want to go. Well, we might want John C. Riley for something else down the line. It's like when these movies when these movies really work, it's when they it's when they go for broke. Like, yeah, Glenn Close is going to have a couple lines and a crazy haircut, and every time she's on screen, it's going to be like, oh man, that's Glenn Close. She's the leader of the Nova Corps. Uh, and I the the collector Benicio del Toro, which is. Such a weird performance, but by his standards, it's like really a toned down performance if you compare it to almost everything else he's ever done. Uh, his assistant, the lady with red skin who tries to steal an Infinity, infinity uh, Stone, is the lead on the current HBO show, Minx. Uh, which I think is cool, and it haunted me when Minx started airing that I didn't know why she looked familiar and if they had just painted her red, it probably would have clicked. Um, it's great; the emotions are are all in the right place. I had so it's one I watched a bunch during the early pandemic too. Like that was a that and Ragnarok were two movies I and I don't I don't even know that I would call those my two favorites. It's very possible that they are, but you know the HBO Perry Mason isn't my favorite show of all time, but I watched it 50 times during the first six months of lockdown. Uh, my brain wasn't working right. I can't account for what I watched and re-watched. Uh, but it's definitely one of the movies I've seen most. Uh, and I love it. I am excited to uh, we're getting to two in a month, month and a half or so. And uh, next year, three comes out. New, more guardian stuff, which has an increasingly wild cast with every reveal. So I'm, I'm uh, right now uh, Borat's daughter from the second Borat and Mateo from Superstore are both in the cast, and I I just want to watch those people interact with Drax. Um, this is the movie that sort of lays out what the Infinity Stones are after they've been referenced previously uh, and most of it is about the power stone Uh, we also established at the end of the dark world that the the ether was the reality stone somehow having lost its physical shape but they somehow fixed it off screen and gave it to the collector that was never really established uh, exactly how that happened but so at this point we've seen four of the stones but two of them have not been revealed as stones The the Tesseract from Avengers and Captain America is the Space Stone. And at this point in the movies, Odin has that. And Loki's Scepter has the Mind Stone, which is in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s possession. I think. Uh, They might have... Yeah, no, I think S.H.I.E.L.D. has it. Uh, I don't think they came right out and said it, but that would seem to be where it would go. So we'll we still got two stones we haven't even seen. Uh, and one of them we really don't see until the movie. That's all about the stones. Uh, anyway, that's... Oh, and the other uh, minor thing I obsessed with on the Marvel movies is when they give the comic creators credit. And by this point, we're now fully entrenched in the, in the people who did related... or er, comics that informed the movie are firmly entrenched in the credits. And... Many of the Guardians have individual creator credits because they're newer and trackable, and uh, it's very exciting to me every time Rocket is in a movie because he was co-created by uh, Keith Giffen, who I've talked about here before. He's like my favorite comics creator, and I like to think he gets a lot of money from any movie where Rocket appears. I know they're not great on the royalties, but he is an entirely original character as opposed to being derived from an existing character. So let's hope he gets a paycheck. Also, he is credited in the Joker movie, despite only ever having done one story in which the Joker appears in his entire career. And while I didn't see the Joker movie, the the Keith Giffen story has the Joker stealing a tank and driving through the suburbs. So, I don't think that's in the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Uh, apparently, they a character in the movie has the same name as a character He put in a Doctor. Fate story. So that's why he's credited in a movie that made a billion dollars worldwide. So anyway, my hope is my hope is Keith Giffen is swimming Scrooge McDuck- like in a bin of money. Uh, next week, it's Age of Ultron, which is a movie about which my feelings are mixed, and it'll be interesting to re-watch. It's got some good stuff, but it's got some bad stuff. Um, uh, over in James Bond, I watched The Man with the Golden Gun, which is, by a lot of people's standards, the worst in the entire series. And I will say this. It's not good. Uh it is extremely watchable. Like I never checked out the way I sort of do with, uh, with, with some of the, even the Sean Connery movies. Uh, you know, I never checked out the way I did Thunderball or Dr. No, where I'm like, I was, I was having fun watching it even while recognizing how, how deeply flawed it is. Uh, there are some things that are really amazing and I wish they'd been able to do more of like, uh, uh, the MI6 temporary headquarters is in a partially, it's in a partially sunken battleship that's tilted. So all of the scenes in like M's office are, the sets are at an extreme angle and the, but the actors are on level footing. So like everybody is, the background is shot with a Dutch angle and everybody else, and but the people all look normal and it's really, it's really a cool effect and, uh, I wish they'd. I'd like to see them do. I'd like to see them do more with that in this movie that came out in 1974. Horses are to the barn on that one. They don't really have a lot of a, a lot of uh, options available now. Uh Also, it has a stunt that's actually amazing, where a car jumps a river and does a corkscrew turn, where it's sort of rotates 360 degrees longitudinally. I think I got that right. And that's a practical stunt. They did it in one take and they gave the stunt driver a $300,000 bonus on the spot. That was 1974. So that's like Elon Musk money. Uh, And in the movie, they actually have to slow it down because it's so fast that you can't even track what happens when you see it at normal speed. But the problem is they accompany it with a slide whistle sound effect that ruins it. Uh, that's the main. Th- There's a lot of misplaced comedy. Uh, they bring back racist chef J.W. Pepper, which is just a just a bad '70s bit. Like he's a he's a wacky neighbor. It's overplayed and awful. Uh, and he's in for so much. Of the he's once he shows up, he sticks around for a while. Uh, he legitimately made me laugh once, uh, but on the whole, it's, it's, it's just like, it's like a mystery science theater performance. Uh, Herve Villachez is the villain's henchman. And, uh, believe it or not, that's not the movie I saw this week with the worst treatment of little people, but we'll get to that. Uh, the... Yeah, there's some. It's the first time there are like jokes at Bond's expense, which they don't quite pull. You know, I mean, he doesn't need to be he doesn't need to be perfect, but uh, it gets it's a little clownish. They hadn't really hit that balance. I do not blame Roger Moore. He's working with the material he's given, which has an extended sequence of him swallowing a piece of evidence and, uh, him having to either barf it out or poop it out. And they don't really say which, but they they spend enough time on it that you know it was unpleasant. Uh, it's got a, a Christopher Lee from the Star Wars prequels. He's uh, Count Dooku, uh, and he's also in like Hammer horror movies. But that's a big blind spot for me, so I literally just know him from like Lord of the Rings and the Star Wars prequels. Uh, he's Scaramanga, who's a the titular man with the golden gun. Uh, And it's funny that I say titular Because he has three nipples Uh, That's like the only thing people know about him Because he so rarely meets his clients Uh, And It's a fun idea Like to have somebody who's kind of Not emotionally involved with this He's just been paid to kill James Bond But then he sort of has a master plan Where he's developing a super weapon And that is less interesting But also then does the movie just end When Bond shoots him you know there needs to be bigger stakes than. I get what, why they did what they did, but I wish they and kind of if they built him up more to be like the evil opposite of Bond or something. Uh, it's a little bit of a wasted opportunity. It's also interesting that this is the this is the period where they're very reactive to what's uh, in culture. Like the the last one, Live and Let Die, was like a black exploitation Bond movie. I am not happy with how I pronounce that. Uh, And this one is very, it's a, it's a martial arts movie. It's, it's got so many scenes of martial arts demonstrations and the opening and closing with Scaramanga pursuing his prey through a, like a funhouse is very, uh, that Bruce Lee movie game of death. Uh, and you, in in a couple movies, we're going to see where, uh, Albert cubby broccoli was like, Hey, the kids like star Wars. Can we do that? And that's a movie I remember being bad, but I am looking forward to watching it. Uh, it's, it's got some kind of dodgy performances, but uh, also, if, if Scaramanga is famous as being a man with a golden gun, anytime you see him playing with a stack of golden office supplies and seemingly clipping them together, don't, don't just let that pass. He does that because he assembled like his gun is made of a cigarette lighter and a, a pen. And, you know, he just starts assembling it right in front of somebody and they his famous golden gun. They know of that, but they're like, oh, he must just like also having golden things in his pocket that he can screw into one another. Uh, it also the opening theme is bad. Uh, because they're very married to using the title of the movie as the title of the song, and there's only so much you can do with that. But the end theme is absolutely deranged. Uh, it's, it's almost like a 90s tell the plot of the movie in a rap song thing. Uh, and it, is, it, it mentions James Bond by name. And I just, the last lines of this song, which I'm not going to try to sing. But I would like to point out that despite the wildly disparate number of syllables in each line, uh, still sticks to a strict A A A A rhyme scheme. So the song, and hence the movie, ends with lines: If you want to get rid of someone, the man with the golden gun, he'll get it done. He'll shoot everyone with his golden gun. <laughs> Oh, it's so awesome. I watched it like 10 times. I posted it on my social media if you want to check it out. It's very funny. Uh, Also, a thing I hadn't mentioned before is every Bond movie ends with saying James Bond will return in and then it gives the name of the movie. And my cousin Tom pointed out how wild it is that they... They had the name of the next movie locked and loaded already. Like, there's no they don't do that now it just says james bond will return they don't know what it's going to be called you know even marvel who have about as uh well honed a machine as anybody in the business ends with dr strange will return they're not telling you dr strange will return and dr strange will return in rindra's birthday party uh and i so it'll be interesting to see when they stop calling their shots like that and it'll make me sad when it happens Uh, Next week is The Spy Who Loved Me, which I remember being the best Roger Moore movie, but I don't remember anything about it. I'm really excited to watch it. I have not seen the Roger Moore movies very often because I kind of, the early Sean Connery movies get real boring, so it's always hard to keep a rewatch going. Yeah, Thunderball, this is on you. Uh, and that brings us to the fifth installment in American Pie, the second in the American Pie Presents series, American Pie Presents: The Naked Mile. Uh, the important thing is I'm more than halfway done now. This was fit, I've got five down, four to go. Uh, this introduces yet another Stifler, this time a cousin, and in fact introduces two separate two different Stifler cousins, who are cousins to one another and to the Stiflers previously established in the movies. Uh, n- the new Stiflers are not brothers, nor brothers to uh, Sean William Scott Stifler. Uh, it's, it's hard to track. Also, this it's very confusing whether or not this movie is actually set in Michigan because sometimes it seems to be, and in fact seems to be the frat house that they visit seems to be in the same city that uh uh the other movies are set in which means it's set at Calvin College and Seminary which is the only well no you know what aquinas might have frats i don't know i can't speak to that there's only a couple of colleges in grand rapids that are big enough to have fraternities uh and they're both primarily religious uh but these are high school students who are going on a college visit with the hope of getting laid at the event that is known as the Naked Mile, where people just run a mile while they're naked. Uh, yeah, the title is its exactly what they tell you. Uh, it has to be said, the first scene of this movie involves uh, high school. Okay, the premise actually is that despite being a stifler, he hasn't lost his virginity yet, and nobody in school can understand that. Again, it's not completely clear that it's even the same school. But, I don't know about you, but was it, when I was in high school, as soon as somebody graduated, nobody ever thought about them again. There were no legends. Once they were gone, they were gone. We didn't care. We had our own stuff to deal with. So that seems very weird. Uh, also, this comes up a lot in these movies, but uh, I, as an adult male... I have, and I I don't say this in a way that where I mean to imply that I've been shortchanged. I've never had a friend who's that invested in getting me laid. Like, I have never had somebody announce that to me. Like, that was going to be what they do. Uh, Because we're normal. Uh, You know what? No. Uh, Let me, uh, uh, my friend Job, who I have not seen in many a year. So this would have been... I mean, this would have been early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> How much of this could I say without making absolutely clear who Job is for anybody who wants to look into it a little bit? Uh, he was in a band that was locally very famous and nationally famous-ish. Like, they toured and they they were musical guests on the Jenny Jones show and, you know, they have TV appearances uh, you know, I kind of met them when they were sort of winding down cause they were getting into their, their thirties and needed, you know, couldn't live on a bus for much longer and they were looking into careers. Uh, but it, like well known enough locally that it was sort of a, uh, when people knew who I was friends with, it was, it was sort of a big deal and I was only vaguely familiar with the band because a girl I liked was very into them. Uh, which is nothing against their band. I enjoy them. Uh, but, there was a time they've, I think it was, uh, Job's last show before he was going to move. So it was like, and like the whole band plays like two shows a year now where it's everybody. They come from all corners. uh, I'll just keep giving details so eventually you figure out I'm talking about domestic problems. Uh, but I remember Job proudly telling me at the beginning of a show, dude, I'm going to get you laid. I'm like, I, I don't, I've, I've seen what you do with your life, Job. I don't think that, uh, I don't think any of that, I don't think that seems like it can be a positive experience for me. And his approach to that and keep in mind, this was at a show where he is in the band. Is, uh, like, I think it was between sets. He told some women who were standing near me, Hey, you met my friend EJ? He's in the band. <laughs> and then walk away. And leave me facing people with this obvious lie because the band had been performing and I was not among them. I was in the audience like everybody else. And what was I going to say? Like, well, yeah, well, actually, I write the songs. Oh, yeah. Which songs did you write? Uh, The one they just sang, which is about Andy's dad. (laughs) It was so dumb. It was so half-assed and so dumb. Uh, And it was funnier than anything in American Pie that presents The Naked Mile. Uh The first scene involves the young young Stifler going to great lengths to masturbate when his family is out. Uh, And having been young myself, I will tell you, look, don't go... If you want to get some furtive masturbating in there, don't, don't use a room on the ground floor which has windows on all sides and a door accessing the outside. You are just asking to be discovered. And that's what happens. And then uh at the worst possible moment and his grandmother dies because he ejaculates on her i i didn't make that up uh but he's so horny cuz his girlfriend won't have sex it's like the presents movies are generally less misogynistic than the real movies uh which is not to say that they're great but uh his girlfriend's not ready but she tells him he can have a hall pass for the naked mile and Then these high school guys are just hanging out at a college. There's a very long scene where they play football against little people, which is appalling. Uh, They use the M word quite a lot, which I guess in 2006 was not widely accepted as a slur. Uh, They use a couple other things that definitely were slurs back then, but they say them a bunch. Uh, And also the, you know, it's part of the joke that they're you know that they're weird and gross it's it's real bad uh they beat them at football though the little people just clean up like the the actors they have are actually super good at stunts um and you know it's just a it's a lot of non there's they they take boner pills thinking they're ecstasy and, uh there's a contest over who can spray semen the farthest god why am I doing this to myself uh I genuinely laughed once when the horny guy realizes he actually cares about his girlfriend and goes back to find her and he steals a horse to do it, which is sort of set up earlier in the movie. But it's just a very funny visual that he shows up at a door and he's on a horse and horses have not been referenced for about 45 minutes of movie time by this point. Uh, I laughed at that. It's not good. It's. Here's the thing. Look. I'm I'm old, I'll admit that. Uh, but there are times there are uh, the in the in the titular, hee <laughs> hee, naked mile, there are so many boobs on screen. And I spent a lot of that time playing Zelda on the Switch and just sort of listening to the movie. Uh, which surprised me uh, given what I know of myself, but I think I've grown up and I've matured and, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what this says about me. I was going to say something, but I would regret putting it on a podcast where people can hear it. So I'm not going to, but, uh, you know, 40 boobs on screen at a time does not necessarily grab my attention at this phase in my life. Uh, a guy on a horse without warning uh made more of an impact so it wasn't good um it was actually maybe the most tasteless but something about the sequel the the video sequels being so like low rent and straightforward about what they are they have like a weird kind of like if mystery science theater covered sex comedies these would be perfect for it uh so I don't get too mad at them, even though this one is genuinely appalling. But the real question is, would I watch this over the fifth film in Zack Snyder's filmography? Which, as it turns out, is Sucker Punch. Uh, sucker Punch is mostly forgotten. It's, it's, it's bad. It's sort of exploitation, masquerading as feminism... And it has some weird things to say about sexual assault. And even though John Hamm and Oscar, and a uh, very new to working in acting Oscar Isaac are in it, it's, it's truly terrible. It's shockingly bad. I think it's really sort of morally upsetting in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think it means to be, me. I think Zack Snyder doesn't think a lot of things out in favor, of how cool they look. But I do feel like this movie postulates that, uh, if you're being sexually assaulted, at least you can have a fun adventure in your head while it's happening to dissociate. So, when it comes down to uh, American Pie, The Naked Mile, a movie that opens with a high school boy killing his grandmother with his semen, or Sucker Punch, I'm going to watch The Naked Mile every time, man. The score is now 2-3. to three. Zack Snyder still got the lead, but we're heading into the D.C. part of his career, and uh, uh, things aren't looking good for the Z-Man. Uh, God, this episode went real long. I apologize. I hope you enjoyed it at least. Um, uh, shoot, uh, tees by Summer. It's my sponsor. It's the best T-shirts on, on the internet. Uh, I was wearing my Ape Hive shirt, which is my website with the logo that was designed by Summer. And somebody complimented my shirt and asked me what it is. And I told them about Teased by Summer rather than about my website. Because, look, I know where the talent is. I'm I'm, I'm only going to talk up a product I believe in. And that product ain't me. Um, This episode is running so long, I don't want to. It's just going to be a short. Teased by Summer is the best. Buy something. Tell me you bought it, and I'll talk about you on the next episode. Provided I don't go long again, I'll talk about you at some point. I'll say nice things. Let me make that clear. Buy something. Tell me you bought it. Cool. We're gonna we're gonna sing your praises. Teesbysummer.com. The best. Uh, that's it. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at ejfedus, Instagram at EJ underscore Fetis. Uh where I post things like the man with the golden gun closing theme, which is worth it all by itself. Uh, fed talks at yahoo.com. You can email me there. Uh, I forget to check that a lot because nobody emails me, but if you email me, I'll start checking it and people will thank you. I guess. I don't know, man. Uh, I'll be back next week. Um, with, uh, who knows what I'll be talking about, but my, my franchise rewatches have will be uh, Age of Ultron, The Spy Who Loved Me, and American Pie presents Beta House. Uh, which is the frat the, there's some carryover because that's the frat where this movie is set. So uh continuity. Um I wish I didn't know any of this. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a good week. Bye. Fed Talks is a full boys production. wee